And by faith, uh, we, we are talking about the faith that we live by, the saving faith in Jesus. So really, ha- having uh, found Hebrews, uh, that's good for now. We'll get to the, uh, the, the text formally here in a little bit. But I'd like to start with just kind of a panorama of, uh, of the book of Hebrews of the situation among those precious uh, Jews there that had received Jesus. They're going through it. They have been uh, cut off. They have been disowned. They have been cut out. (laughs) They are under a burden that they did not anticipate and could not have imagined Uh, prior to receiving Jesus. And this whole writing is to encourage them not to look at circumstances, not to look at the consequences of their faith in Christ as that would be played out in a world that is hostile to Jesus and to those who follow him. But that the important matter before them was not necessarily their circumstances, but to express faith in Christ in the midst of those circumstances and to move forward in faith. And so in in lining this out for the the precious people there, the writer uh, introduces them or reacquaints them in chapters one through six with the person of Christ. You have this, this wonderful first chapter uh, that he, he just begins by talking about the son and, and we, can, uh, we can pick it up there in chapter one, read a few verses, just three or four verses there just to paint the broad a picture of what's happening here. He's 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 lifting up Jesus, and and you know when when you're going through the trials of life, that's where our eyes need to turn, and that's where our thoughts need to go is is to Christ. It's Jesus. So he's he's speaking to them. Aren't you glad God's God speaks to His people? We worship a speaking God. He communicates his his heart. To us, and he was communicating his heart to these Hebrews. He says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is, and that he is, is in reference to his Son. And he, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Jesus, higher than the angels, higher than your circumstances. He is over all and he's speaking. So through the first six chapters, we have the person of Christ, the person of Jesus. And then we get 
7, 8, 9, 10, uh, we see the priesthood of Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. And this is, uh, you can just about put your finger anywhere in these. uh, Let's go to chapter 7, verse 1. He mentions uh, Melchizedek. He says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. This is our high priest, Jesus, without father, without mother, without genealogy, this Melchizedek, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the son of God. He remains a priest perpetually. And then look down to verse 25, one of, one of our favorite verses because of the offer of comfort here. And if you could put yourself in the sandals of those Hebrews who were being persecuted, who were going through uh, trials and tribulations, uh, this would be a great encouragement to you to know that Jesus was indeed a person who paid for our sins in, by his blood on the cross. And he is the same one who lives forever. The Bible says in verse 25 of chapter 7, Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I know he was thinking about sinners when he died on the cross, but he continues to think about sinners at the right hand of the Father as he prays for us. He prays for those who have received him. So he's our great high priest. So we have Jesus, his person, Jesus, our high priest. And then the author concludes the book in chapters 11 and 12 with the great principle that we are to live by with regard to Jesus, his person, and Jesus, uh, our high priest. What is that principle? Well, that principle is faith. The principle is faith and faith is real and faith is necessary. And what I would like to do uh, before we read the text is look at chapter 10, because this is, this is one of the more important passages in the book of Hebrews for the setting, uh, for the occasion of the letter, for the circumstances uh, that the people were we're finding themselves in beginning with verse 32 and reading down and through uh, verse 39. This is uh, this is really if you were if you were beginning a study of the book of Hebrews, I would start right there for the occasion of the letter, the writing. It's more than a letter. It's it's a, it's a long sermon. But remember the former days when after being enlightened. You endured a great conflict of sufferings. So he's just saying, remember what what happened when you were first saved. He's saying, listen, it wasn't easy. He says it wasn't easy then. There was a, you endured, listen, these are big words, endured a great conflict of sufferings. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. 
So, so he's just saying, uh, part of this was directed to you. It was on you. And part of it was directed uh, to people that you knew. So you knew them. And because you knew them uh, and they were going through a hard time, you were having to deal with that burden as well. That's what he says. Partly by being made a public, public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by what? By becoming sharers. You were with those who were so treated. He says, for you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Now, he, verse 34 is for all of you tonight who were who had read verses 32 and 33 and said, well, how bad was it? Well, 34 tells you. He says that they showed sympathy to prisoners. They accepted joyfully the seizure of their property. And, and why was this? Because they were believers in Jesus. And it wasn't a secret thing. It was a, it was a public thing. We are, we are believers in Christ and it is a public thing. We leave our homes, we come to church and assemble together. It's a public thing. We share our faith as we go through a, our, our daily lives. It's a public thing. We receive Christ and we follow him in the waters of baptism. What is that? It's a public thing. This is a public faith that we have in Christ. He says, therefore... Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. So they're, they're being tempted to uh, throw away their confidence. They've already endured this great conflict of sufferings and their, their patience is wearing thin. What's going to happen next? How bad can it get? And what's he saying? Don't throw away your confidence. Don't, don't make the public thing a secret thing. He's encouraging them. For you have need of endurance. Don't we all? Amen. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. I like that perspective, don't you? But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. What a, what a powerful statement that is. So what about this faith? Well, in chapter 11, we get to our text, verses 1 through 4 tonight. What about this faith? In verse 38, he quotes the Old Testament passage there in Habakkuk. 
chapter 2, verse 4. But my righteous one shall live by faith. It's, it's, listen, it's, it's good and it's right and it's wonderful to make a profession of faith. It's good and right and wonderful uh, to live by faith. To live it out. And so he's going he's gonna to share with us some things about faith. There in these four verses. Title of the message is Faith Counts. We have uh, a text before us, and we have three points tonight. Let's read the text. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith... We understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. This is the word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. You said that not the smallest mark of your word would pass away. In fact, you said heaven and earth will pass away, but not the smallest mark of my word will ever pass away. We learn from Jeremiah, Lord, that you're watching over your word to perform it. Uh, We learn from Paul that your word is inspired. It's breathed out by you. So Lord, take this living and active word and implant it in our hearts and minds tonight. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen and amen. So uh, we have three points beginning in verse one. We have a description of faith. In verse 2, we see the, uh, the dogma of faith. We see that faith is a dogma. Faith is, is strong. It's the heart of our doctrine uh, concerning our response to Jesus. And then we see faith demonstrated in verses 3 and 4. Let's look at the description And I think it is more of a description here than a definition. We need a word picture here for faith. And that's what we have. He says faith, now faith, is the assurance. Uh, The word uh, that is sometimes used here is substance. Uh, The word in the Greek means to stand under. It can... uh, call to mind a foundation. Um, It is, he is describing faith here as an objective reality. It's an objective reality. Now, faith is an objective reality. Faith is a substance. Faith is the assurance. Hmm. Of what? Of things hoped for, 
the conviction of things not seen. I think uh, the first part here, he's saying that faith is foundational. It's foundational to our lives. And this foundation consists of those things that are hoped for. The reality of God, the reality of his promises, all of these things. This is what our lives are what? Built on. We build on this foundation of Christ and his promises. And then right here in this last part is really important. The conviction of things not seen. So these are the things that are hoped for are the things that are not seen. They're not visible. But they're real and they're objective. And this conviction is what you sense in your heart and in your life and in your gut and in your mind, in your being, in your existence concerning these objective realities, concerning spiritual truth, starting with God who is invisible. But you're convinced that he's real. It's, a, it's the conviction of things not seen. I mean, this is really easy to understand. I'm convinced that God is real. Well, how could you be convinced God is real when you can't see him? Well, you don't have to, you don't have to, God doesn't have to show himself personally to me for me to be convinced. I'm convinced. It's called the knowledge of God. It's called the spiritual knowledge. You have to have that knowledge to what? To be saved. I've never seen Jesus, but I'm convinced that he had a life. He was born of a virgin, born in the town of Bethlehem, lived his life, carried forth his ministry, taught the multitudes, performed miracles, died on a rugged cross, was taken down, buried, rose again on the third day from the dead, left behind an empty tomb, went to the Mount of Olives with his disciples, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and one day he's coming back. I've not, I was not around for any of that. I didn't see that. I've never seen Jesus. I mean, my grandmother used to have a picture. I mean, everybody walked in the room and thought, I guess we were just supposed to think that's Jesus. I always thought you can, I, I, I never liked the pictures. I was just like, I mean, I don't think anybody can do justice to Jesus. But I didn't need that picture on the wall to be convinced that he's real and he's alive and he's faithful to his word. And that's what that means. There, it means there are those spiritual realities. We just named them off one by one. And then there's that conviction of heart. To say that's true, even though all the world would say you're crazy or you're a liar. We know in our heart that these things are true. We bear witness with the word of God, with the apostolic teaching, with the prophets of old, that God is real and he sent his son to save. And we love him and we follow him and we're waiting on his return. That's what that that's what that means. That's what faith looks like. Faith, you, if somebody has true faith in Christ, they can't be talked out of it. Why? Because it's a conviction. It's a conviction. 
And uh, that's, that's where the writer, get it, that's where he's saying, you need to keep living it out. Hard times, yeah, they may get worse. I mean, he never told them it was going to get better. It may get worse, but he, he's saying, this is faith. To be convinced of those spiritual realities and to live it accordingly. Live your life accordingly. And then we get, I want to I wanna deal with the last point first before we get to the second point. I know it's out of order, but hey, I'm the one that was running off those uh, McShane Bible things. So, you know, you'll understand. But look at the demonstration of faith. Listen, faith is to be demonstrated. But when there's that conviction of heart, it's not a problem to demonstrate it. We don't need rules. I don't need anybody saying you need to jump this high to be a Christian. You need to read this many verses. Uh, it's good to read the Bible through in a year, but you know what? If you want to read consistently out of the Bible every day and not read it all the way through, that's fine. We're not legalists, but we need to live by every word that God speaks. Amen. Just keep Bible intake, keep it in, keep bringing it in. Uh, so your faith needs to be demonstrated. And he, he gives us two ways he gives, us, uh, he gives us a we saying there in verse 3. He says, by faith we. I like that. We understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things which are visible. Oh boy. He goes all the way back to the beginning. Anybody around back then? No, none of us were. No one was. But he says, this is faith. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things which are visible. So by faith, I believe God created the heavens and the earth. By faith. I just believe that. And the, the, the evolutionists would say, oh, you're wrong. And I would say, I would probably say back to them, uh, I don't think I can help you right now. This is what I believe. I'm firm in my belief. This is the teaching of scripture. I don't need to go to a museum and tour to be convinced that God created. I read the Bible. I believe God created. I look at the beautiful handiwork of God. I believe he created the heavens and the earth. I believe he created. I would probably say to the evolutionists, not only do I believe he created everything we see and can't see. I believe he did it in six literal days. What do you say to that? Well, what did he do on the seventh? I'd say, well, he rested. He rested. I believe that. And that is a conviction. He's saying, by faith, we understand this. That's, that's so neat. I mean, hey, if you want to study all the details of creation, and I mean, there's books and pawn books and all this, but the Bible puts it forward very simply and straightforwardly. And to receive that teaching and just to receive it by faith, to be convinced of that, Spiritual reality, that objective reality of God's creation is an expression or demonstration of faith. So we go on. There's, a, there's another last verse here. He gives us really an illustration. 
And he goes all the way back to the Old Bible, the Old Testament, and he takes us to Genesis 4. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. That's a huge word right there because it calls to mind verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And then we come down to verse 4, that Abel obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying. So God doing the testifying, that's important. God testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. So we have this illustration of Cain and Abel. And if we go, we can go back to Genesis 4 just for a moment or two and look at what was going on there between these two lads. This is Genesis 4, verse 1. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, when he says Cain was a tiller of the ground, it is uh, interesting. I think it's in three. Yeah, there it is. I don't. Even, I don't have to turn back. So it's in three twenty-three. If you look at look there, as one of the consequences of the fall, uh, the Bible tells us that that Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden, and then look at that last part of verse twenty-three to do what? To cultivate the ground from which he was. Taken, So not only are Adam and Eve involved in this cultivating the ground, but we have Cain um, as a tiller of the ground. So is Moses wanting us to associate Cain with this consequence of the fall, the cultivation of the ground? Possibly. So it came about. In the course of time, that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry. And his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother. And killed him. And then First um, John has a remark there. You'll, if you want to turn there, hold your place there in Genesis four, and you can go to First John chapter three, uh, verse ten. Verse well, yeah, verse eleven. 
For this is the message, this is 1 John 3, 11 and 12. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So there's always, you know, you always have this, people, folks will read, we read Genesis 4, well, why in the world did God not regard Cain's offering? Why did, well, because God didn't regard Cain. Why didn't he regard Cain? Well, the thought is this, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, remember, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. Fig leaves are an inadequate covering for sin. Even the finest clothing is an inadequate covering for sin. So what did God do? God gave them garments of animal skins. And here we have the difference. Abel brought the what? The fattest, the literal translation is the fattest of the firstlings of his flock. To sacrifice before the Lord. We believe his offering is accepted by God. Abel is counted righteous because there's blood shed. Cain is offering vegetables to God. And God disregards Cain and his offering. And then we know as we read further down that Cain was unrighteous. Cain was sinful. Why? Because he, even with the warning from God, be careful Sin is crouching at the door and the figure of speech there has to do with an animal, a predatory animal crouching behind a door ready to pounce on its victim. And God's just telling him, there's a predator ready to pounce and it's sin. And if you don't watch out, you're going to be consumed. Well, Cain was consumed by that sin. He was angry and he killed his brother Abel. Proving that he was indeed unrighteous, full of sin. Abel was righteous. So that's the illustration that uh, the writer of Hebrews gives us. That, that Abel uh, was righteous in the sight of God and Cain was unrighteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. And then I wanted to get to the second point, which will make the third. I know it's confusing, but we've only got a couple points to work with here. Uh, That faith is a dogma. Faith is uh, a cherished uh, expression. It's a cherished reality. In fact, it's a God-given avenue for us to come to the Father through Jesus and be saved. There's only one way to be saved. And that is to express saving faith in Jesus. So what does he say? Right there it is in verse 3. No, verse 2. For by it, for by what? For by faith, the men of old gained approval. The men of old gained approval. Everybody wants to be approved. Everybody wants a pat on the back. Everybody wants... To be recognized for doing something good. How do I know this? Have you ever shared your faith with someone and said, you know, how do you, how do you know if you were to die and, and uh, you know, how do you know you would go to heaven? 
And they'll, they'll say, well, I, I know I go to heaven because I'm a good person. That is like an 80 to 90% answer that you will get from folks if you ask that question. We're, they're on their way to heaven because they, they're a good person. That's what they say, but that's not, that's not the truth. Because God doesn't approve of us based on our goodness. Whatever level that is. And in the book of Romans, he goes to great lengths to show that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you want to be approved by God, there's only one way, and that is by faith. For by it, the men of old gained what? God's approval. God's approval. God's acceptance. When you trust him, he counts that faith as righteousness to you. And we'll close with these verses. There's one here in 2 Corinthians. It's too bad. Once you, you, you're, you're standing, you're, you're, you're teaching the word, you get excited and we have to close. But in 2 Corinthians 5... And it's a powerful verse, and then we'll read a couple out of Romans. He made him, he the Father made him the Son, Jesus, who knew no sin. That knew no sin means that Jesus was sinless. To be sin, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Really, the literal there is he made him who knew no sin, sin. On our behalf. Well, why would he do that? Well, he's going to tell us right there. So that. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And one day, looking down the road, one day we see Jesus, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. But only those... Only those who have expressed faith in Christ and that faith is counted righteousness to us will become the righteousness of God in him. Over in Romans, and we'll close from there. There's so many, where do you, I mean, where do you even start? Here in Romans, you can start in verse... 21 of chapter 3. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's a whole argument of Paul in chapter 1. He's saying... He's saying, okay, not only, not only does everyone sin, but the Gentiles have sinned and the Jews have sinned. He just says, if you look at, at that as uh, concentric circles, the whole world, Gentiles, Jews, all are guilty before God. 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has what? Faith. The key ingredient in your life to be approved by the Father and to be with the Father for all eternity is faith. Faith that operates regardless of circumstances. Faith that operates regardless of how you feel. Faith that just gets up in the morning, steps forward and lives for Jesus each and every day. That's what, that's what the writer of Hebrews is wanting to draw out of these uh, precious people. Well, we could, uh, we could go on and read more about Abraham. But we will conclude right there and we'll stop and pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your, the, just the wonderful testimony, consistent testimony of these Bible writers concerning Jesus and how wonderful he is and, and how he meets us at the point of our need and our trial and our questions and, our, and even at times our confusion you're right there. You're right there to shine the light on truth. You're right there to give us insight. You're right there to say, follow me. Lord, uh, bless each one and give us a good night's rest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.